All right, welcome back to our study of the book of Hebrews here on the Listener's Commentary. In this session, we are going to be looking at Hebrews chapter 3, verses 7 through 19, and it is the beginning of, the first half of, if you will, an extended exhortation that begins here, goes all the way into, almost through the, the remainder of chapter 4. And to set that in context, just recall that the author of Hebrews has just demonstrated the superiority of Jesus to Moses. It's not that Moses was bad. Moses was faithful, and Moses was an important servant in God's house. But he was a servant in the house. Jesus, on the other hand, is God's son, and he's over all of God's house. Then the author ended that section with a conditional clause right at, right at the end of verse 6, where he said, And we are God's household, his people, if we hold on to our confession clear to the end. This leads then into this extended call to action that begins here in verse 7 of chapter 3 and goes into chapter 4. And this call to action is actually fascinating. It reflects on and applies a passage of scripture from the Old Testament. So it's basically like the book of Hebrews is almost like a sermon. And here we sort of get like a sermon within a sermon. Or if you will, it's that moment in a sermon when the preacher goes to a specific text that he wants to help us understand to make the point he's trying to make. And so that's what we have here. We get a specific passage of scripture from the Psalms, specifically Psalm 95 verses 7 through 11 is quoted here. And that passage, Psalm 95, 7 through 11, actually looks back at an Old Testament story from the Exodus time period. And so what we're looking at in chapter 3 and 4 of the book of Hebrews is we're looking at a passage of Scripture in Hebrews 3 and 4 uh, that looks back at a passage of Scripture in Psalm 95, which then Psalm 95's look back at a passage of scripture from Exodus chapter 17. So that's what we have here. We're looking at a passage of scripture that looks at a passage of scripture, which looks at a passage of scripture. All to make the point that we need to remain faithful. So in view of that need, in view of the need to remain faithful to, to God and to our confidence and to our hope, as he called it at the end of verse 6, the author of Hebrews quotes Psalm 95 and then applies it to the situation of the original readers. He does this to exhort them to stay faithful, and the point he makes is this. Don't fall away and miss God's rest by virtue of unbelief. Don't fall away and miss God's rest by failing to believe and trust him and be loyal to him to the end. That's the point. And so he opens in chapter 3, verse 7 by saying, Therefore, just as the Holy Spirit says, so therefore, drawing an implication from what he said before, therefore, because, it's, because Jesus is superior to Moses, and because it's so important for us to be faithful, we want to be part of God's family, therefore, and notice he says, therefore, just as the Holy Spirit says, that's his setup for the Old Testament quote that he's about to give us here. And he calls it the words of the Holy Spirit which reminds us that the Spirit is the ultimate speaker in and through the Scriptures. So, therefore, just as the Holy Spirit says, and then he quotes Psalm 95, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me, as on the day of trial in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was angry with this generation and said, they always go astray in their heart and they do not know my ways. As I swore in my anger, they shall certainly not enter my rest. 
This, as I noted above, is from Psalm 95, verses 7 through 11. And by quoting this passage, the author of Hebrews offers a warning. Don't miss God's rest because of a lack of faith or trust like they did. Um, the message of Psalm 95, 7 through 11 is drawn from the Old Testament account of the Exodus found in Exodus 17, 1 through 7. Uh, it refers to the time in the wilderness during the Exodus account near Mount Horeb when the Israelites complained about the lack of water. And Moses then makes sure they get water, but he recognizes this was not a good moment for the people of Israel. He actually give, gave two names to this site. He calls it Meribah, which means strife or rebellion, or provocation, and he calls it Masab, meaning temptation or testing. Now, those names don't show up in this passage because the author of Hebrews is actually quoting from the Greek Old Testament, and the Greek Old Testament translated Meribah and Masah into their meanings, and so that's what we have here. But notice you have them here. You have the idea of testing and provoked me. Don't harden your hearts as they did when they provoked me. That is Meribah. And uh, in the day of Massah, trial in the wilderness. And so Psalm 95, 7 through 11 is looking back at Exodus 17, 1 through 7. And notice how the psalm begins. Today, addressing his audience, the of the psalmist back in his day, the psalmist says, today, if you hear his voice. And the author of Hebrews will actually repeat this word today from the psalm multiple times in chapters three through four. And the reason for that is because he's making the same point in his day that the psalmist was making in his own day. Today, the psalmist says, must not be another day of unfaithfulness by which the Israelites provoked God in the wilderness. The psalmist made that point that today must not be a day of unfaithfulness. The author of Hebrews is making that point. Today must not be another day of unfaithfulness. And notice that in the psalm, as you read it, today stands in contrast with the day of trial or testing. So when the psalmist wrote Psalm 95, he was calling the Israelites of his day to be faithful, unlike the wilderness generation during the Exodus. Now, the author of Hebrews is applying that psalm to the Jewish Christians of his day, and he's really saying the same thing. Today, you need to be faithful. And that word today communicates a sense of urgency about it. Today, if you hear his voice, you got to be faithful today. And so then, the author of Hebrews uh, goes on and begins to offer his challenge and his exhortation to the original readers from this passage out of Psalm 95. And so here's what he says in verse 12. He says, take care, brothers and sisters, directly addressing his audience, the original readers of the book of Hebrews, take care, brothers and sisters, that there will not be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. This is his exhortation. This is his call to action. Make sure you don't have an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. And notice when you look back at verses 8 and verses 9, where the quote is from Psalm 95, notice that Psalm 95 diagnoses the heart as the problem. Don't harden your heart, Psalm 95 says. They go astray in their heart, it says. And that's why the author of Hebrews here in verse 12 says, make sure you don't have an evil, unbelieving heart. 
the heart in biblical language was more like the will or more like the control center of the person than the word heart means in English. We tend to mean heart like almost emotions with all your feelings. Uh, here, it's more like your will, the control center of the person. And so make sure you don't have an evil and unbelieving heart means make sure you don't have an evil and unbelieving control center. And so the Exodus generation back there in Exodus 17, they had a bad heart. That was the problem. And the author of Hebrews is basically saying, make sure you don't have the same problem like they did. This is very compelling and very powerful to Jews thinking of going back to Judaism. Uh, your heritage is people who have a bad heart and make sure you don't have that same problem. Make sure, like them, you don't act with loyal allegiance to Yahweh. That was their problem, and the author of Hebrews doesn't want that for his original audience. So, he diagnoses the problem as an evil, unbelieving heart. Then, in verse 13, he offers a prescription. Look at verse 13. He says, But encourage one another every day, as long as it's still called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Notice the word today. He's playing off of the today that begins the quote from the Old Testament. And so as long as there's still a today, every time you wake up, it's a new day. It's today. So as long as there's still a today, you got to make sure that you don't be hardened in your heart. That's the idea. And what does he tell them to do in order to make sure they stay faithful and don't have an evil, unbelieving heart? Well, he tells them, encourage one another. Encourage one another. That word encourage means to strengthen, to exhort, to challenge, to bolster and comfort. Like come alongside and build somebody up and bolster them. That's the idea that we need help from our fellow believers in order to make sure our heart stays soft rather than grows hard. This is the responsibility of all Christians. Avoiding the danger of a hard heart isn't purely an individual thing. We need each other. And that danger is specifically being hardened, he says, by the deceitfulness of sin. So getting an evil, unbelieving, hardened heart, right? Well, that happens through the deceitfulness of sin. The idea is that sin promises more than it can deliver. It's deceitful. It promises all sorts of rewards and good things, but it's lying. Sin promises pleasure and happiness and uh, beautiful things, but its rewards are actually misery and death, Scripture teaches. Later in chapter 11, the author of Hebrews will use the phrase, the passing pleasures of sin. And that's really the idea here, that sin is deceitful and it looks good and it's promising good things, but it's lying. And if you give into it, your heart is going to be hardened. So the point of verse 13 is we need help and encouragement and support and accountability from our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ in order to avoid an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from God. Then the author of Hebrews goes on to offer some direct comments on the passage from Psalm 95 to help us see that it's not how you start, but how you finish that really matters. Beginning to follow God, like the Exodus generation did, beginning to follow Jesus, like the author of Hebrews' original audience did, 
only matters if you stay true to the end. And that's his call to action. You got to stay faithful. And so he offers now some direct comments on the passage from Psalm 95. He says in verse 16, For we have become partakers of Christ, that is, sharers in, part of, like partakers of the Messiah, like uh, like we participate in the Messiah, we're part of him. And notice Christ, he's chosen that very deliberately, the anointed one, the Messiah, the one that Jews hoped for, longed for, for centuries. He's come, he's Jesus, and we're participants of it only if we keep the beginning of our commitment firm to the end. So you're only a participant with the Messiah if you stick with him until the end. That's the whole purpose of Psalm 95 being quoted here. And so he quotes it, uh, a line from it here in verse 15. So keep your commitment firm until the end, while it is said today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me. And so recalling that Psalm, just like a preacher applying it to his audience, notice what it says. It says, don't harden your hearts like they did. You got to hold your commitment firm until the end. Then what he does is he wants uh, us and the original readers to think this through. Well, who is, who is the story about in Exodus 17, 1 through 7? Who is the psalmist talking about by referring to that story? Think this through. Is it, is it about people who didn't know any better? And so what he does is he asks a series of questions that all derive from the lines of the psalm, Psalm 95, to help us see who these words are actually addressed to. So beginning in verse 16, he says, for who provoked him when they had heard, right? The psalm says, don't harden your heart as they did when they provoked me. So who provoked him when they had heard? And then he asks a follow-up question that's really an answer to that first question. Indeed, did not all those who came out of Egypt led by Moses? So who provoked him? Well, it was those who came out of Egypt led by Moses. It's the Exodus generation. Those who, who experienced the miraculous plagues in Egypt. Those who experienced the Red Sea parting so they could pass through and then saw it wash over the Egyptian army and Pharaoh himself. Um, those who saw his miracles in the wilderness. That's who provoked him. Those who experienced the Exodus uh, at Moses' leadership. Verse 17, the next question, and with whom was he angry for 40 years? In the psalm, right, it talks about that uh, they stirred up my anger. As I swore in my anger, they shall not enter my rest. So with whom was he angry for 40 years? Well, then he says another follow-up question. That's really the answer to that question. Was it not with those who sinned, whose dead bodies fell in the wilderness? So once again, who was he angry? Well, with those very same people who came out of Egypt uh, under the leadership of Moses. That's who he was angry, and they experienced God's punishment. That's what's implied by whose dead bodies fell in the wilderness. They were barred from entering into the promised land because of their faithlessness. That's the idea. Because of their disobedience and because of their faithlessness, God was like, okay, fine. It should have been a two-week journey from Egypt into the promised land, but it turned into a 40-year journey because they were so unfaithful, and thus they all died in the wilderness until that generation was gone. And now it's those that were little kids during the Exodus that are actually going to lead um, them into the promised land. And so 
That's who he was angry with, was the Exodus generation. Verse 18, the next question. And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest? Well, to those who were disobedient. And this particular word that's translated disobedient here is actually a word that means not to allow oneself to be persuaded. They were they were not going to comply with. They were not going to be persuaded to follow God. It's the idea of being obstinate and rejecting God's will, and hence disobedience. And so, who, was, who were those that could not enter his rest? Well, those who were disobedient and just refused to uh, submit their will to the will of God. And so, the final conclusion then in verse 19 is, And so we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. That's the point of these questions. God rejected his own people, the Exodus generation. He rejected them and did not allow them to enter the rest of the promised land because they were unbelieving and rebellious and disobedient rather than remaining faithful. And that's the idea of because of unbelief. Notice all throughout this, we see that they sinned, they were disobedient, and at the heart of that really is unbelief. Their unwillingness to listen to, believe, and trust God, that's the root of the problem. They didn't do what God wanted them to do because they didn't trust God in the first place, and thus they turned against him. Their unbelief led to sin and disobedience, and that's always the case. All right, so that's the first half of his exhortation based on Psalm 95. The second half will come in chapter 4, and the focus there will be on the idea of entering his rest. We'll look at that in the next session, but here what he has emphasized is this call to be faithful, make sure your heart's not hard, help each other. Help each other in this quest to make sure your heart's not hard, because they didn't enter not because they didn't know better, not because they didn't see God's works, not because God didn't lead them at the hand of Moses. They didn't enter because of their unbelief that led to their disobedience. And that really provides a powerful warning um, that uh, seeing isn't always believing. They saw, but they didn't believe and they didn't trust. They were still rebellious and disobedient. And so we hear in this exhortation, if we're going to be faithful to Jesus to the end, we need the encouragement and the support of our brothers and sisters, and we recognize that the, the root of the problem is what goes on in our heart. We need to make sure we don't acquire a hard, evil, unbelieving heart, but we have a heart that's open to God, not resistant, that's soft before him, and that trusts him as he leads us into his final rest. All right, before we leave this session of the Listener's Commentary, just want to say a huge thank you to those of you who make this ministry possible. The Listener's Commentary is a listener-supported Bible teaching ministry, so thanks a ton for your generous support. And if you want to join the team of supporters, you can go to the link down in the notes below or just swing on over to thelistenerscommentary.com, listenerscommentary.com, and click the Give button, and you can set up a one-time or a recurring monthly donation right there. You can also sign up for the Study Hub, which is another great way to support this ministry, and it gives you access to all sorts of other Bible study materials as well. Thanks a ton for your support.